I believe that veterans are the key to unlocking America's next golden age. By empowering and influencing one million veterans to transition well and become leaders in their communities, we can unlock our country's destiny and continue to change the world. My name is Bernard Bergen. I am talking with Ernest Robinson, Marine community leader and political advisor. Ernest and his organization briefs over 4,000 transitioning service members every year. Ernest is a second generation Marine, and he knows the importance of military families and the veterans community and advocates every day for active duty service members and veteran leaders. Ernest, thank you for being a part of the show. And thank you for just taking this time out of your busy schedule to uh, just share your wisdom and your experience with our audience. Yeah, Bernard, this is my absolute pleasure to do so. And as, as I do in my briefs, when I uh, brief service members, I want to thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Ernest, first of all, I, I like to make sure I do this. Tell our listeners where to find you online, where to connect to your work. I want to make sure that we're building out our community as we go. Oh, absolutely. So. One of the things is right here for everyone who can actually see it on the podcast, but you can follow me on Instagram um, at EJ Robinson 2014, as well as my Twitter account. I do the professional uh, way of being able to connect with individuals on LinkedIn. So you can find me at Ernest J. Robinson. I'm there. Um, a lot of my work will be through Instagram for the most part. Okay. Um, and email address, info beernest at gmail.com. Okay. Thank you for sharing that, Ernest. Now, let me just dive right into this. How important was it to your family legacy that you serve, not just in the Corps, but continue to serve beyond the uniform, much like you're doing right now? Well, Bernard, it's interesting because I come not just being a second generation Marine, but my grandfather and being an immigrant from the Caribbean islands in uh, St. Kitts and Nevis. So he's from Nevis. Oh, wow. Wow. Served in World War II. My uncle who served in Vietnam, my stepdad served in the Gulf War, and I served in Iraq. So I have a long, not just being in public service, but also, you know, experiencing uh, war and, and putting down that the greatest sacrifice possible, or risking it at least. Um, but to my family, my legacy, so it's like to my, I have an eight-year-old daughter, and it's one thing for her to being able to see that, you know, daddy served and you know, what it is I did. And even at eight, not necessarily having a complete understanding, but having more of an understanding of how important it actually is. And one thing about being in the service that I talk about is always being an ambassador. So it's something that allows for me to be able to continue on that particular legacy of not only just being a Marine, but when you say Ernest Robinson, that actually means something. Mm. And that that's important, being able to lay that foundation. Wow. Wow. I love that. I love how you you know, just took the time to remind us that each generation built on the next and there's so much more to continue. And I think for so many, they forget that service is ultimately about who comes next. And at times we betray that. And again, I don't knock anyone's choices. You know, some people will choose not to serve. But I think at times we forget that if we keep that attitude going, we miss the opportunity to build something for who's coming. So I love that you just touched on all the generations of how you guys continue to build. Let me ask this. So then do you see your daughter serving in the core as well, or do you see her serving more in politics or both? As of right now at eight, I just hope that she just serves on the best dance team <laughs> <laughs> right now. 
uh, especially with the money that goes into that endeavor. But um, I mean, I see it being more of a possibility. Yeah, yeah. Because I've already done that particular work. It's, it's one of the things, whether it's politics, whether it's civil rights, whether it's serving in the military, is that somebody has come before us and has done the work. Yeah. So one, it makes it possible, it makes it tangible to being able to obtain that. It's not something, some far off idea. By me having gone to college and getting my degree, that also was something that adds to what my daughter is now capable of seeing that she can actually do. She was actually, I was fortunate enough to have my daughter and she was old enough to have been there when I graduated from college. And so she mm-hmm. was able to take pictures holding my degree in her hand. Wow. You know, oh, so, wow. I mean, even though she doesn't remember, but I can know her the pits sit there and say, oh, daddy did this. And I was doing it while I was still in the selective reserves, you know, doing what I need to do, being in the Marine Corps as well. So it does make it more real for her. Love that. I love that. We are talking to Ernest J. Robinson. Please follow him on social Twitter or Instagram at EJ Robinson 2014. That's E-J-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N 2014. Ernest, what can people look forward to when they follow you on social? What they can look forward to is a lot of honesty. Being in the military, we, and I say grew up, because one, again, my dad being in, me serving, I started at 17 years old. Oh, wow. My entire adult life has always been apolitical. I didn't care what your political views were. I cared about accomplishing the mission. Yeah, yeah. And so... I give a level of honesty when it comes down to certain issues. Like certain things don't really matter as much. So that's one of the things they can't expect. Um, obviously, there's going to be some levels of, of motivation. Yeah, um, yeah. And possibly the opportunity to becoming inspired because inspiration comes from within. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. may see something that inspires you, but it's not my job necessarily to facilitate that. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Now, tell me about the Be Earnest slogan and moniker. How did you come up with that? And how has that helped you as you've just continued to share your message, your story, your gifts with the veterans community and beyond? Gotcha. Great question. So one of the things I've been speaking for maybe roughly almost 10 years or so, and inherently small unit leadership of being in the service. So in college, I started following one of my frat brothers, and he gave me a couple of opportunities of being able to speak. And I would get paid to do so, you know, maybe $50 here, $100 here, or whatever. And so he would always say, well, I'll give you another opportunity. Just kind of wait and wait. But one day I asked myself, well, why am I waiting mm. when I can create my own opportunity? Like, I have people I'm connected with. I know how to speak. I know what the topic matters. And so through one of his, but through one of his workshops, not what works out, but icebreakers. There's this thing where you ask the person, who are you? And you ask the person over and over and over and over again, okay? You change the inflection on your voice. So sometimes it'd be like, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Mm-hmm. Who are you? And then you have to listen to that. And you have to say something different every single time. Wow. And so what most people will wind up doing, they would laugh, they would stammer, they would, you know, snicker, they would repeat themselves, they would say their names over and over again because they didn't realize who they actually are. Don't understand the difference between what you are and who you are. Oh, wow. So what I did was I went back into the mirror and I asked myself over and over again, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And so then I came up with, because of the simple fact that the thing was that most people repeated their name. So when you say your name, what does that mean? 
So for me, I say to be earnest. Now, be is an affirmation, you know, saying it's a commitment to being whatever. You sit there and say that, like saying, I am. The I am, whatever follows, follows you, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. To be educated and understanding that education is more than just what it is you learn with inside of a classroom. I said to be resilient, being able to persevere through all types of obstacles. When I, when I joined the Marine Corps, I was 17 years old. The oldest person in boot camp in my platoon was 29 years old, but I was the guide and I graduated as the honor graduate out of that platoon. So being able to persevere through those things. So being resilient, noble, be noble, do the right things at the right times for the right reasons. And oftentimes people get those things confused, but we do things that may be at the right time, but it's all for the wrong reasons. Mm. We want to get somebody else in trouble. We want mm. to deflect responsibility or not being held accountable. Then I said to empower, empowering other people, be empowering. So to empower other people. And then I said to be strategic because how are us you supposed to get from point A to point B? Yeah, yeah. And then that's right. So even no matter what type of movement that we've ever done, whether it was civil rights or if it's in the military, if we're going to the field or we're going to war, we don't leave without creating a strategy. But most people live their lives vicariously through others, people's legacy or the fact that they have this particular name and don't create a strategy of how they're going to get to that next level. So I have to, as I said, to be strategic. And then the last part was to be tenacious, having the raw energy of being able to do anything and everything. But I also realize is that to be educated, resilient, noble, empowered, strategic, and tenacious. And so you can't be one without the other. Mm. You can't be strategic without being educated. You can't be tenacious without doing without being noble and doing it for the right reasons. To be resilient but without empowering others. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So are you going to do all the work yourself? And ultimately, that doesn't create good leadership when that happens. So that's how Be Earnest came. And so I oftentimes so I share some of that with our service members. Because when they're transitioning, you know, I said, one, to be educated, you know, educate yourself about your benefits. How are you going to use your post-911 GI Bill? How are you going to being able to use your voc rehab if you qualify for it? How are you going to be able to find housing? How are you making the next plans to being able to get insurances that you desperately need? Your mm-hmm. SGLI is over. Mm-hmm. So it's those types of things that I oftentimes, you know, share with them to being educated, resilient, mobile, strategic, and tenacious in their own lives. Man, powerful, powerful. I love that. You know, and again, I'm talking with Ernest Robinson. Make sure you're following him on social. And I, you know, asked him about just the Be Earnest moniker, and he just definitely broke it down. I love how you paired them. To be strategic, you have to be educated. You know, to be tenacious, you have to do it for the right reasons. You have to be noble. Mm. Powerful, powerful statement. And I love to see, you know, maybe I get to attend one of your workshops where you're actually asking those in the audience, who are you? And just watch that pull out of them, you know, more than just their name, more than just what we like to keep on the surface because it's safe, mm-hmm. but truly who you are and the impact that you can make beyond not just the uniform, but beyond your small group, your family, your small community, truly touch the world. Now, Ernest, you travel a ton. You get to see the country. You get to meet people from all over. So you understand more than most the pulse of the country. And definitely because you're politically active, you know that we definitely have a system in place to change things around. And it does require action. It does require getting out there, putting yourself out there. Why do you think so many people are afraid to be politically active with their true voice versus tapping into what's already said because it's safe? 
part of that is back to that question, who are you? Uh-huh. Most people don't have an understanding of who they are. So it's not comfortable being a leader. Mm-hmm. We've had a discussion before about, you know, the difference between leading and managing. Mm-hmm. Managers <laughs> maintain the status quo. Leaders yeah. challenge the status quo. Many people find it, it's more comfortable. It's much more safe to not say anything or not push anything. More people are more consumed about their own self-worth and self-value than the values of others. Wow. Most people misconstrue what it actually means to be a leader or what the part that's missing is servant leadership. Mm. Because the whole purpose of us joining the military wasn't to get rich. Right. It wasn't necessarily for glory or anything like that. It was to serve. And serve with such a broad sense because we served in so many different areas. We served in the cold, we served in the hot, we served in the desert, we served in the swamps, we served other people in other countries. And so oftentimes people don't want to break out of that. It's unfamiliar territory. They're worried about their jobs, they're worried about this, yeah. they're worried about, so they're not worried about the concerns. But it sounds good to say that they support issues. Mm. It sounds good to say. Thank you for your service. You know, it's just like saying, hello, good morning. How are you doing? They don't really care how you're doing. Mm. (laughs) You know, if someone actually stops and says, look, B, I'm having a really tough day. Now, for the most part, I know you. You would sit down, you would listen. But most people who ask the question don't really care. They're just saying it. Yeah. So oftentimes we'll see people that'll get on the radio, on television, and they'll just say things because it sounds good. And they won't actually step up because, and then also the other part too is they don't know enough. So if I do say something, am I going to be able to handle the retort? Mm-hmm. Can I handle someone actually coming back at me with something and I'm not that sharp? Right. So it's better for me to blend in with the ignorance of everyone else versus sticking my neck out and taking a chance on something. Wow. Wow. Powerful. Powerful. And you know, one of the things that you triggered for me was if we just maintain the status quo, are we then ever getting the best voices to the forefront? And are we then solving the problems that need to be solved in each season? Absolutely. We're not going to accomplish that if we maintain the status quo. Yeah. We can see that through our leadership in local government, in your state government, in your federal government. Um, We saw that play out during the 2016 election. And then I'm talking about Democrat, Republican, Independent. We did not put forward the absolute best of the best. Hmm. It was more or less the best of the rest (laughs) across the board. Wow. Because it's a tragic in in that regard because, again, now everyone else, if that becomes the standard, you know, has the standard been lowered you know, or has it been raised? In most cases, definitely the standard has been low. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so yeah, no, it doesn't happen that way. We, I think we need to be more intentional about, one, creating atmospheres where we create leadership, telling younger people that they can actually do it, getting beyond our own pride because at 35, at 40, at 45, at 50, you weren't thinking that way at 20 and 21. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes people are able to pick somebody up when they're down, but true leadership is being able to elevate them above you, being able to support somebody past where you are and being okay with that. But until we're able to get past our own pride, 
I think it's going to be a slower process in being able to get the absolute best voices to come to the forefront. And I love that. I love that you went deep there. Again, we are talking to Ernest Robinson. Please head over to his website, beearnest.org. You know, you will be able to tap into his leadership training, his executive training, his consulting. And again, if you are someone interested in politics, if you are someone interested in helping veterans transition at a high level, or you just want to operate with higher levels of integrity, Ernest is the guy for you. Ernest, what made you take, because many military service members, after they take off the uniform, you know, at times we're like, you know, we've been away from family so long. It's time to just kind of blend in a bit, you know, take a few years, reconnect that way. But Ernest, you got right back into pushing the pace, helping others realize that many of the values that we carry in the military carries over into business, carries over into leadership, coaching, and personal development. And you are someone who lives the disciplines that so many need to tap into. What made you know, and you shared a bit about, you know, your, your friend and your speaking, but I think you bring a high level of character and integrity that at times is missing in, into leadership. A lot of people are leading only towards the bottom line. And again, you build from the ground up character, integrity. You talked about the be earnest mantra, but what made you know that you had it in you to bring this to the forefront? So I separated from active duty in 2005. Okay. Now, I went to Iraq in 2003. I was 20 years old, traveling over to, to Kuwait, you know, from the Magnificent Sevens, what they called the ships that we were on. Hmm. And, um, but I was trying to figure out, well, why are we going after Saddam Hussein? Aren't we supposed to be going after the guy with the turban and the long beard? Like, wasn't he the one that was the cause of so i started questioning things even then mm. and but again being apolitical you don't necessarily have too much of a, a forum to being able to speak on like so you know and i went on and i did it so in 2005 i separated from active duty i started trying to go into the nfl that's a separate story but in 2007 for those who may not remember was in down in jenna louisiana we had the jenna six for the young men who were wrongfully jailed for not being able to sit under a tree. They sat under a tree, they got into a fight, they got put in jail. And also, I think there was a Megan Williams out in West Virginia. At that time, it was alleged that she was kidnapped and raped and tortured and forced to eat feces and a number of things out in West Virginia. And I enrolled into Virginia Union University, historically black college and university down in Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. But my university wasn't talking about it. You know, I didn't see the action. And so I decided to go and speak at chapel, speak at places that I could speak at to talk about those issues that were actually going on. I raised money. Mm-hmm. I convinced my mentor, Dr. Beecham. He's a pastor at a church um, down in, in Richmond. He actually got his church to donate the van. I had over 200 signatures. I got signatures and everything else. But we only had 22 people get on the bus. Wow. Out of 200, I had a 47-passenger bus. I had a 15-passenger van. I had drivers. I had everybody's ready. But we got on that bus, and we went there. And it was the students' reactions of how it impacted them that allowed for me to continue to do the things that I do. Mm -hmm. And from that point on is where I knew that I could do it. But I, I knew that I needed to learn more. I needed to understand more about the process. I needed to understand more about policy. I needed to understand more about legislation. I need to understand more about gentrification because at 24, 
25 at the time. Having spent the last seven, eight years in the military, again, I was 17 when I went in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I wasn't acutely aware of everything that was going on, but I knew I needed to learn. And then the more that I learned, I know that I needed to share that information. Because oftentimes we will learn something and then we'll hold it. Mm. So I realized that I needed to share that information with others so that way they could, again, that's the part of the empowerment. It is great that you can be, as a leader, you can get up there and you can speak and you can talk about all the issues and you talk about where people need to go, but does everyone else really know that? Or are they just trusting in what you're telling them? And so I wanted people to be convicted themselves about what it is that they need to do. But 2007 was where that started. And that spawned to me going to working political action committees, to working on local campaigns, to working the presidential inaugural ceremonies, to doing presidential leadership summits. I worked with like 3,000 kids from across the world uh, with another company out, out of Northern Virginia. But it all started from me. The seed was planted in 2003 and when I went to Iraq, mm-hmm. but it really started to manifest itself in 2007. Wow. Wow. Powerful story. Powerful story. You know, it makes me think about one of the things I saw on your website where you help train people on decision making and you call the series chess versus checkers, understanding how and when to make the right move. And you just showcase at a high level how strategic you are about not just gaining access and the information, but sharing that access and the information. Do you want to talk a bit more about that learning series and just how you use those experiences to help others develop their decision-making muscle? Oh, absolutely. So one of the things that, that I share with it more, I'm actually happened to be at the, uh, one of the conferences that I host this session at, but I utilize the King. Well, actually, first and foremost, I tell the people that one, you need to understand what game that you're playing. Mm. I utilize a um, clip video clip of the wire and there was two young men who were sitting in an apartment complex, and another young man walks up on them to they're playing the game. And he sits there and says, well, what are y'all doing? I mean, we're, we're playing the game. We're playing checkers. He's like, well, you can't play checkers with chess pieces. You know, so he sits down and starts to explain the game to them. And so when I saw that, that's the reason why I use that, because sometimes we're in life, we're playing checkers with chess pieces. Mm-hmm. But when you're playing checkers with chess pieces, you're one, you're undervaluing what you're able to do. Oh, wow. And so that's one thing that I share with people is that. So in a general sense, the king will more or less probably be your morals, your values, and everything else. And those are the things that remain consistent. And everything else around you is the community that's designed to be able to protect those particular values. Yeah, yeah. to being able to move, but understanding the move. So like when I sit there and say, well, I asked about how many people know how to play chess? And people raise their hand. But then we start reading the rules of the game. And if the, some people don't understand that the pawn moves on its first move. Mm-hmm. But most people don't know. And that's an opportunity being able to set up a strategy. Yeah. You know, or put yourself in an advantage. So I just talk about those things and just utilize the analogy of it being able to put it together so people can be able to kind of govern themselves and when and where to make the right decisions. Because you just can't make a decision that's going to expose your business, that's going to expose your family, that's going to expose this and expose that because you're just out there going off of your feelings. You have to be meticulous about how you move and everything else. And so that's, in a nutshell, how that kind of came about and, and why I do it. Man, powerful stuff, man. Powerful stuff. Wow. Again, so I am talking with Ernest J. Robinson. You need to be following him on social. You need to connect with him over on his website. And again, if you're looking to bring someone in for leadership training, professional development, 
political activism at a grassroots level and at a high committee level, Ernest is the person that you definitely want to bring in to help facilitate that conversation and to train and develop your teams on how to do what's next. Now, Ernest, I want to switch the conversation just a bit to military service. Now, when you Mm -hmm. get to talk and train young people, and some, again, impressed by your resume, impressed by your background, they want to go into service. What do you typically share with them? And, And you have this amazing perspective, having joined at 17, so you have such an acute awareness of what to say to them, what to ask them, and what to challenge them to think about. All right. So some of the things that I'll sit there and say, well, why? And the why could be why they want to join mm. or why they don't want to join. Yeah. Because some people may sit there and say, well, oh, it's this or oh, what's that. And they have this perspective. And I just try to sit there, one, to figure out what their motives are. I also try to share with them that when you get out of it, what you put into it. Right. That there is absolutely no perfect story. Mm. That you're still, at the end of the day, you're dealing with people. And people are inherently flawed, but it gives you such an opportunity to being able to brace cultures from across the country and sometimes across the world that you probably normally would not have. In my unit, I had someone who was of Asian descent. I had two people who were parents were born in Haiti. They grew up in a Haitian household. One was Guyanese. I went boot camp. I met people who had never seen black people before. Oh, wow. Who had never tied a tie before who had never made a bed before, who never knew how to iron or wash clothes, who didn't know how to clean, you know, who weren't disciplined. And again, as I said before, they were all older than I was. Gives you an opportunity of being able to learn from people who are older than you, who are younger than you, understanding what leadership is. And it was an opportunity to be able to join, to see the world. I told people that, you know, by the time I was the age of 22, I'd seen five different countries. Oh, wow. Most people who were the age of 22 had probably maybe visited five different campuses for college purposes and partying and, you know, whatever have you. So just your opportunity to being able to grow and develop as a person, I think is a great opportunity that you can do in the military. And to be honest, there are some people, if they were buttholes before, sometimes it's going to be bigger buttholes. (laughs) (laughs) Some things, again, you're dealing with people. And so everybody is not going to go to boot camp and all of a sudden they're an angel. We're not perfect. But we strive, and it's one of the most honorable things I think that anybody can do that can serve in uniform. And that uniform can be in the military. That uniform can be in law enforcement. That uniform can be in EMT, fire department, or whatever have you. So I just tell people just it. But also, too, is that this is the one time at 17 I had a career. Mm. Now, I chose to stop that, but I had a career. I had medical. I had dental. I had a paycheck on the 1st and the 15th of every month. I had an opportunity to be able to, again, to travel the world. I had an opportunity for growth. I had an opportunity for development. I had an opportunity to lead. I had a career. I didn't have a job. Now, it's not to sit there and knock people who work at either Walmart, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, or wherever you work at, but that was a career. And so you have an opportunity to being able to retire. So I also share that as well to young people to kind of think about that, where they're going to be and, and how they're going to get there. Powerful. Powerful. Wow, you kind of threw it down the gauntlet and then raised the bar pretty high because, you know, again, if someone did follow in your shoes and joined at 17 and said, hey, I'll do 10 years of this, you know, I'll do six years of this, look how much further it puts them. Like you mentioned, world travel, 
the option to go the distance and retire if that's what you know works for their life and their path. And what I love is that you talked about the leadership. You know, at 17, how much are we trusting most 17-year-olds with? But again, in the core, in the service, we're trusting you with the country. You know, we're going to train you. We're going to make sure that you understand the disciplines. But ultimately, when we hand you that issue, you know, that rifle, you know, we're trusting that not only are you trained, but that you signed up to ultimately make the ultimate sacrifice. And we're going to fully entrust you, you know, with the leadership and responsibility that comes with that. So that's a, a powerful again, challenge and a standard to just remind people of. Because again, I'm a proponent of service. I'm also a proponent of more people choosing to serve. Again, it doesn't mean you go to the distance, but having served, wow, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the unity, the camaraderie, the esprit de corps, just what you then get to tap into on the back end as a veteran. Right there, I want to talk about veterans' transitions. You know, I always like asking it this way. One word answer. When I say military transitions, what one word would you give, Ernest? Preparation. Oh, preparation. Okay, unpack that for me. And I've actually shared this with our colonels and some of our leadership amongst our our 06s and above who who have regiments and brigades and battalions and everything else, is that your transition should be a part of your career. Mm. Most people don't understand when you come into a Fortune 500 company, most times you understand the benefits that you have when you come into the door. You understand the difference sometimes, and in most cases, depending on, especially if you're career oriented, that if you retire, this is how much money you're going to get. Yeah. If you do this, this is what you can get. Here are your education benefits. Here's what you get for your family. Here's what you get here. Here's what... But that's not necessarily the case when you come into the military. Right. Always right. going schools, always training. It's always the mission. And then in some cases, because one of the bases that I serve is Walter Reed Bethesda, Mm. where a lot of our service members are going to heal, to get rehabilitated. And now at 23, they're faced with being medically discharged, medically retired. And now they have to figure life out. And they don't know that these benefits exist. Mm. So what I mean by preparation is being, okay, this person is coming at, because matter of fact, so you served in the Army, correct? I did. I did. Right. So 11 Bravo, for those who don't know, and I know you know, is infantry. Infantry doesn't have a lot of translatable positions outside of being security, armed security, police officer, et cetera. There are some intangible uh, things that you learn, right? but you're not necessarily prepared to being able to transition if you do four years or if you do 20 years. Mm. Mm. You're not financially stable. Now, there is a thrift savings plan. There are some other things that are put in there, but it's not a part of the spirit of core. It's not a part of our ethos. It's not a part of our daily disciplines. We know more to PT Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 0500, yep. more so than, than taking $500 every two weeks and putting it into a, in a, a savings account and don't touch it. Yeah, yeah. Being able to go on deployment, and I, I did this. My mother when I was in Iraq, paid all of my bills. Mm. I had zero debt. I had a few thousand dollars. Um, we didn't get paid quite as much with hazard pay and things of that nature of now 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. But I had a few thousand dollars when I came back. I came back and I blew all of it. Mm. I bought a new car. 
I had rims, I had speakers in the back, I had a TV, I had a DVD player. This is all in my car. And in which none of, I have zero of any of it now. Wow, wow, wow. And then when you transition, you're kind of stuck. So what I mean by preparation is one, creating an atmosphere where transition is a part of their career. Two, being able to have classes in real time, being able to practice, develop the disciplines the same way we develop our mind and bodies, develop the same thing for that preparation or that, that transition when you get ready to get out. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I love that you, uh, man, you just took me back to the habits we don't talk about and the mm-hmm. lessons that we tend to only learn the hard way, you know, and I think that, you know, it's great reminding veteran leaders and current service members and the families of these lessons and these truths, because at times, because we never see the end of our military service, like you really helped me uh, reflect on, we then don't prepare for that end to come like it's not coming. Whether you do 30, you do 20, you know, you do six like I did, you are going to leave, you're going to transition. But if you don't see that transition point, wow, how differently do you approach what you have access to during your career? As a matter of fact, I'll even add this piece in too. So it's not just the, because when you sit there and said 30 years, I've seen that happen with those who have put 20, 25 years and 30 years. In. Because if you're at E7, you're expecting to get E8 and you don't get it. Mm-hmm. E8, you're expecting to get an E9 and you don't get it. You're an 05 and you're expecting to get 06 and you don't get it. You're an 06 and you're trying to get that star and you don't get it. And so now it's like, oh no, now my pay my salary is going to get cut by I'm only going to get 75% of my base pay mm. or I'm only going to get 50% of my base pay depending on where you are especially yeah. my family's accustomed to a certain lifestyle yeah you know we're accustomed to doing this I've overspent on that I mean again to be reality whether you're in the military or not even millionaires are broke because they're spending more money than they actually have yeah yeah so yeah. it's all about, but just sticking with the military, it's all about that preparation to understanding what that reality is going to be, that eventually at some point in time, this may come to an end. And matter of fact, even, and I'll add one other thing too. So like with some of the benefits you get is a post 9-11 degree. I mean, post 9-11 GI Bill. Mm-hmm. For those who are in, you also get the opportunity to be able to do a transfer of entitlement to your dependents, mm-hmm. either to a spouse or your children dependents. However, one there's a certain number of years that you need to be in before you're able to transfer. Two is a retention tool, and so therefore you need to have a certain number of years to actually re-enlist because you're wanting to give it to somebody else. And so therefore you need to give the military a couple extra years in order you want to give your benefits to somebody else. But being able to sit there and make that decision, because I had somebody who was in one of my sessions and he wanted to give it to his son, but he couldn't. Because one, he was one, he was being medically discharged, so he hadn't prepared for it. Two, he hadn't met the prerequisite number of years, but he could have done it prior to, mm. but he didn't know that. He didn't expect to be getting out. And so now he, I mean, one, he can't pass it on. He has to use his own benefits, but those are some of the things that you don't necessarily know about and need to prepare for. Wow. 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 <laughs> Again, if you're not listening or if you just wanted to go deeper, please reach out to Ernest on social, connect with him, keep the conversation going. He has the opportunity to sit at the gate of transitions and brief those who are transitioning from the military from the highest level all the way 
to the enlisted ranks. So what he gets to see, the stories he gets to share, and what he gets to hear is ground floor and groundbreaking. So what he's sharing and what he's leading with will definitely help you shift your thinking and perspective in how you do your current career if you're still in, or how you think about your opportunities now that you've transitioned out. And I love that, you know, Ernest, you just took the time to remind us of, you know, the preparation that's needed, living beneath our means so that we don't end up with a loss that's shocking to our system as we transition. But what I want to uh, discuss now is a bit of when you train and you, you speak to employers, business owners, business leaders, what do you share about the veterans community that you know, our listeners need to hear and the business owners that listen need to hear as well? One, it depends on who I'm speaking to and the purpose that I'm speaking to. But yeah. in general, especially like when I go to college campuses, fostering an atmosphere where veterans feel included. And that can happen within the workplace or within colleges, et cetera. Yeah. Because oftentimes it's a thank you for your service, but it's not knowing how to have a conversation. Actually, what I tell veterans is not to, one, to expose yourself to other groups that are not going to be talking about your deployment. Mm. They're not going to be talking about your staff and CEOs and things of that nature. You have <laughs> different types of conversations. And so you need to you know, practice on that. And the same thing I sit there and tell with businesses is that, one, you need to foster those environments. Two, that you're more than likely you're having disciplined individuals who are coming over who are looking for an opportunity being able to continue to serve. You can't have a, a, probably a better, and we have this term in the Marines about no better friend, no worse enemy than a Marine. Mm. But it, say, you know, <laughs> saying that jokingly, but again, to have somebody on your team who knows how to lead, who knows how to deal with pressure. And then also, but the reality is too, is that not everyone has those skills. And sometimes they need for you to be just as critical of them learning the process, yeah. of them getting acclimated to the team and not treating them differently than you would somebody else who's coming in. Because if new employee orientations, if you know new employees need to do X, Y, and Z, then make sure that that veteran does X, Y, and Z. So again, they can be included into that and they can learn. And don't, don't just assume that because they were in the military that they know something. Not everyone's experience is the same. Not everyone who deploys across the 39th parallel mm. entered in the, into combat. Everyone's combat experience was different. Yep. Everyone's mission was different. So everyone does not have the same experiences. And so just take at face value for what it is that that particular veteran has to offer and then work on those and bring out those skills that he or she may be willing to share. Powerful, powerful, powerful. You know, and I think it's just always great to extend the conversation and, and to hear, you know, different voices and challenge how we approach what we consider thanking our service members for. I look at it as a dual contract. When you are serving, you are doing a part first for time so that the economic engines in our country continue to turn. And mm -hmm. when we then take the uniform off, you're now on this side while others do their part. So as much as possible, we keep the economic engines, the political engines turning so that that handoff continues. And I think at times without knowing it, you know, and I think, yes, we at times face our own struggles, our own setbacks, our own challenges. I think 
when we forget of the exchange of responsibility, the changing of the guard, so to speak, we then can see where we can push the envelope forward, whether that's working amazingly well with the companies we partner with and work for, starting our own businesses and growing that so that we can help employ others, or just keeping advocacy going so that, again, our, our, our system, our democracy, you know, the way we do government, the way we allow our people to voice their concerns continues. And for me, I think veterans can do more. You know, I don't want to say that from a place of arrogance, but I just really think our veterans community, our veterans leaders, you know, even the spouses and children of veterans, they have seen the sacrifice and lived the sacrifice for so long that as they come back to the table and they lead the charge, we definitely can see change. Now, let me ask you this. We're seeing this resurgence in political advocacy across the country, whether it's in Florida with the uh, young people who are speaking up about what they want to see as as legislation surrounding guns, whether it's the African-American community and the awareness around the injustices that we've seen all across our country. But for the most part, and we, I think we touched on this a bit, we don't see enough veterans' voices outside of veterans' issues, so to speak, back to staying in the safe status quo versus saying, you know what, that's wrong, and I'm okay with saying that's wrong, and I'm okay with the consequences of that's wrong. Now, I live in Seattle, Washington, and we have a very politically active community. Like we had a protest today and my challenge is always, and I say this humbly, you protest on the weekends, what is that really costing you? It's not costing you income because you're probably off on the weekends. City Hall is closed, so who's actually listening? So I'm always like, what happened to the advocacy like we just saw in Sacramento where they are challenging the infrastructure, shutting down interstates, uh, marching on City Hall, speaking up at a cost to themselves versus, I guess, just playing it safe. So two questions in that. Do you think this will continue or it will fizzle out? And secondly, where can veterans go to just start finding their voice outside of the safe veterans issues? All right. One, that was a uh, very jam-packed two questions. (laughs) So first off, I think that, and I think we've had discussions about this before too, the differences between EQ and IQ. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think most people are on the emotional side versus the intellectual side Mm. of some of the things. Because just like you said, I mean, what, what is it costing you? What is the risk that you take when you're actually protesting on the weekends? However, in every situation, you don't actually necessarily need to take risk. Mm. There are some calculated risks that you can take. And I say that by, you know, like the outpour, you know, with Freddie Gray and the destruction that they had within Baltimore. Mm. You know, that's not necessary because that doesn't change the law. And sometimes being overly passionate about things and, and not controlling your emotions can undermine the purpose of Mm. why you're doing it. Because now it becomes more about you getting your point across than it does about the justice that you want to see served. Because energy is neither created nor destroyed. So now all you're doing is shifting the energy to the destruction. 
because that still has to be addressed. Because you're still calling damage to, and in most cases, it's to your own neighborhoods. Mm. It's your own schools. It's your own. And so when you don't have money for education or for literacy, it's because they spend money trying to repair a city that you just destroyed. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you still may not have gotten it done. One thing that I find to be kind of somewhat disappointing is that we just had the situation in Sacramento. We had, you know, a situation in Minnesota. We have, mm-hmm. you know, Philinda Castillo, Eric Gardner. But we, let's go back to Trayvon Martin. Mm-hmm. The issue during that time was stand your ground laws. Mm-hmm. Most people have forgotten that. Stand your ground laws has not changed. However, weed is now legal, is legal in several different states and the District of Columbia. More people celebrated that than actually asking, well, what happened with Stand Your Ground Laws? So a lot of people get a lot of real emotional about things and they'll rile up because it sounds good. It looks sexy to protest. Not at the sake of me losing my job. Not at the sake of somebody mm-hmm. judging me. Not at the sake of me, you know, potentially going to jail for real. But, you know, to get out there and sit there and say, I supported this. Now, where veterans can definitely step up. I think I mentioned this earlier that, you know, being in, in a service, we grow up apolitical. Yeah, yeah. It should be about the greater good, mm-hmm. not about what I feel my personal bias about this or whatever. Now, now, granted, we all have some level of bias, some level of prejudice, but it's the fact that when we're in the military, you don't get to act on those right. things. Right. You don't get to act on your bias. You don't get to act on your prejudice. You have to, a job you have to perform. You can't sit there and say, oh, I don't want to play with Private Spuckatelli. No, that's your battle, buddy. Go get the job done. Oh, yeah. And plus, on top of that, your life, his life, depends on you actually being able to work together. And I think that what happens is that we think that our lives don't depend on us. And we don't, so therefore, we lack the sense of urgency to get to getting involved. Wow. But someone's life does depend on And if it's not their physical life, it's their quality of life. Mm. It is their ability, for, especially with some of the mantras of not being afraid in schools or not being afraid to walk down the street. But I think that also, too, whether it's in the military or whether it's those who are currently protesting or wanting to protest, I think there has to be a level of consistency. There's a whole bunch of people who get killed. Like I said, I was in Chicago last weekend. They didn't fly back until Monday. I went to a skating rink just to experience. I, I like roller skating but just to experience it. And there was some young people who got into a fight. Mm-hmm. But I was talking with someone, uh, an educator there, and they were telling me that that fight is going to lead to someone getting shot because that young girl is a black young girl and a Latina young girl who got into a fight. That young girl's going to go back and tell her father, her father's going to go out and try to find him, and they're going to shoot one another. Mm-hmm. There was an establishment just I was, that was Saturday night that I went out. Friday night, there was an establishment where four people got killed inside the establishment. And the one young man that was with that group, he left. He went to go have breakfast. They followed him, went inside that establishment, and shot and killed him. Mm. So that was five people that got killed within the span of two hours. But you don't hear about that on the news. Oh, wow. You don't hear those protests. I think that there needs to be a level of consistency for people to really to get the buy-in yeah. across the board that, Yes, that my life, this life, their life, yes, all lives matter. But yes, Black lives matter. Yes, this matters. Because it matters all the time, not just some of the time, not just on the weekends, not when there's not no chance of sacrifice 
Because one of the things that, again, being in the military that we're known for is willing to give the greatest sacrifice. Yeah. But when you're protesting on Saturday, you're not giving the greatest sacrifice. You're taking, you're doing it to where it's, you know, it's easy. Yeah. You know, I think that's one way that one, as military leaders, we could step up in that way. I think that one, I think it's needed in some cases. But I also believe, too, that if you're not stepping up, I think it's best sometimes. Because we don't need for people just to stand up just for the sake of standing up. Right. We need to stand up and do something. We need to stand up and actually lead to move forward. And so I think that what young people are doing right now, even though sometimes I don't think that it's always guided the best, I think what's need is, is what's needed. Because guess what? It's not happening. Those who are 35, 40, 50, 60 years old, they're not the ones doing anything. Mm. So at least they're doing something. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And, and you know, just thanks for taking the time to go deep there. I think that, you know, you're super connected. Again, you're traveling the country consistently speaking to leaders both in and out of the military. So that unique perspective, you know, reminds people that there is work to be done. But more importantly, we want you to be consistent about the work you choose to do. We are talking with Ernest Robinson, Marine, community leader, political advisor. You know, head over to his website, beearnest.org, or follow him on social at ejrobinson2014. Now, Ernest, before we close, I wanted you to share, what are you reading? How are you training? You know, mind, body, soul. What are some of the practices and habits that allow you to perform at the high level that you do? And I'd love to hear some parting words of wisdom. Okay. So was reading a book called Outwitting the Devil. Um, I think anything that's you know, written by Napoleon Hill is definitely a good read. And there was one other book, Servant Leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot the author offhand. But those books kind of keep me grounded in a way. Outwitting the Devil is one that talks about whether or not if the devil actually exists, but being able to make decisions, who actually make, is making that decision. Mm-hmm. And being able for you to hold yourself responsible and accountable for the things that you say in that and or do. Yeah. Servant leadership. It's about, you know, actually the fact that being in a leadership role is not about you. And honestly, it, in life, it never really is. We're, we're designed to join another person. That's what marriage is for. We're designed to being fruitful. That's the purpose of having children. We're designed to be leaders and lovers and providers and protectors which are all things that we need to do for somebody else. Our military careers were designed to protect the weak, be the voice for the voiceless, for somebody else. And so it's never about us. And so one thing that I do by being in a leadership position and even sharing things on social media is that's what keeps me grounded because someone's always watching. I did the 100-day challenge, and I posted every single day when I got out there to go run. Mm. And I would have some people, like one day I posted, I used a particular app, and uh, I didn't post my time. And they were like, hey, how long did it take you to run the three miles? And I was like, oh, my bad. I apologize, and I posted it. But it just showed me that people are watching. Mm. Some people are watching because they want to see you succeed. Some people are watching to see when you don't do it. So they say, Mm. ha-ha, he's human. He's human, y'all. He's not really all what he says that he's supposed to be. So it keeps me on my toes. And I know for some people in leadership, that's an uncomfortable position to be in. Yeah. And sometimes it's easier to kind of fall to the back. So I would just sit there and say, take on those particular challenges. The uh, the poem 
by, uh, I think it's uh, Marion Williamson, that our deepest fear is not that we are mm-hmm. inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. It's our lightness, not our darkness that most frightens us. You're playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing in light by strings so other people won't feel insecure around them. We're all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And when we allow our light to shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same as we are liberated from our fears. Our presence automatically liberates others. So for all the veterans that are out there, for all the service members that are out there, for all the leaders that are out there, understanding that you're playing small does not serve the world. So it is your duty, your responsibility to go out there, take on the challenges, do the things that are uncomfortable because someone's life, whether it's their personal life, physical life, or their quality of life, desperately depends on man Ernest. can't say anything after that that was very transformational again it speaks to your character it speaks to your continued service beyond the uniform again if you're not following Ernest J Robinson follow him on social it's EJ Robinson 2014 Twitter Instagram connect with him on Facebook head over to his website beearnest.org and again if you are looking for someone to challenge you to Think about how you choose to do life. Ernest is the speaker you're looking for, the trainer, the facilitator that you're looking for. And if you're a transitioning service member and you need one-on-one coaching, you just need a session with someone to help you plan, reach out to Ernest. I know he's super busy, but I'm pretty sure if you approach him correctly, LinkedIn, um, formally, you know, just engage with him, he will provide you with the feedback. And again, if you need to uh, pay for that coaching, I'm telling you, he's worth every bit of that investment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Bernard, I want to thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, one of the things I also do, I say, especially about my job, is something that I get to do, mm. not something that I got to do. Mm. And I say the same thing about being a, being a leader. This is that something that I get to do. It's not something that I got to do. And so I take a lot of honor and being able to do that to the very best of my ability, being able to serve those who are looking to be leaders themselves as well. So again, thank you. Again, everybody can follow me at, at EJ Robinson 2014 on, on Instagram and Twitter. Connect, connect with me on, on, on LinkedIn. That's a very powerful tool to getting hired or, or just having a, a great connection. So always network and network. And Facebook as well, Ernest Robinson. So Again, Bernard, I, I definitely appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you again, Ernest. Thanks for carving out some time on your busy Saturday and in your busy travel schedule. And um, again, I know we'll talk soon, but <laughs> formally, we'll talk soon. All right. Thank All right. you. Take care, Ernest.